Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. This is In the Game. Today we're going to do a little bit of a quarterback show. It's just Brady Quinn and myself. And uh, we really wanted to sort of drill down here on some of these top prospects in the draft. It's sort of on the horizon. It's getting close. And we really wanted to look at the guys, not so much what you've read in sort of scouting reports and trying to sort of see how your team might fit with one of these guys, but more of a real scheme fit from people who have played in and against these kinds of schemes where these guys might ultimately end up. Brady, what's going on, man? Not much, Matt. You know, I, I was really excited about the opportunity to do this particular uh, show only because, you know, it, it, it kind of is in my wheelhouse, it's in my specialty, and, and I've been through it before. So uh, I feel like, you know, I, mean, I can add a little bit of, insight as to what's going on in some of these guys heads right now yeah it's uh, you're, you're following my train of thought as well I, I i have probably more questions than answer many more questions than answers for the show and it gives me an opportunity to be both former player but also just sort of questioner because i'm curious you know we're really sitting in sort of that dead stage with a lot of these top guys uh but before we dive into that i i feel sort of an obligation to at least touch on quarterback news nationally uh, we, from the world of free agency, we've kind of hit a lull here. Uh, but it's also a time where there's been a couple big pieces of quarterback news in the last week. Uh, first and foremost, RG3 decides to go to Cleveland. Um, I think for him, I don't know how many other options are out there, quite frankly. And, and I'm just curious, sort of your point of view, a guy who's been a top pick by those guys in the past, you obviously know the pain of the organization very well and, and sort of the troubles they've had finding their guy at that position over the last several years. Uh, how do you think this might flush out for him, or is it, is it very difficult to know because we're not exactly sure what that offense or team is even going to be? Yeah, there's so many question marks, question marks, Matt, in particular about just the Browns' offense in general. Let's just step right. away from the quarterback position. I mean, they they allowed Alex Mack to leave um, in free agency. He's gone. Uh, Schwartz as well. Travis Benjamin, the number one wide receiver from last year, he's gone. Um, Josh Gordon, we don't know what his status is going to be. He's still suspended. So at this point in time, it's tough for any quarterback. I don't care if it's Tom Brady. I don't care who it is to Andrew Luck to watch into the Cleveland Browns organization and and be able to feel confident or even comfortable with what they have going on right now. The one piece of confidence they they can kind of rest easy in is the fact that Hugh Jackson is, is somewhat of an offensive guru. He's going to right. work with quarterbacks, get the most out of them, and work with whatever pieces he does have around the quarterback and work to the strengths of the quarterback, not put them in positions where they're not going to be able to be successful. So RG3 has that working towards uh, to his advantage and all that. But with his injury history, we know that one thing in particular he's going to want to try to do is improve his play from the pocket to prevent some of the hits he sustained and some of the injuries he sustained getting outside the pocket. Not having your Pro Bowl center with Alex Mack, as well as another key piece in the offensive line, that hurts. Um, adapting to a new system, that's going to take some time as well. I think if anyone can do it, though, Hugh Jack can help uh, give Robert Griffin enough to keep defenses on their heels and not necessarily confuse them too much or overload him with too much to do out there on the field where it looks like he's having a hard time getting through reads and progression. So I think this, this is a marriage that can definitely work and fit. The biggest key is patience the Cleveland Browns right. their, their front office their fans they have to have patience they have to build out around him and I don't know if they have enough time or not to allow it to happen but Robert Griffin the third I think can be a spectacular player in this league if he develops from the pocket 
and he has continuity. He doesn't get injured, and he can continue to grow with the pieces out around him. It's just, a, it's just a, you know, whether or not Cleveland can be patient enough to allow it to happen where they have a coaching staff and a regime more than two years. Yeah, I think it's a it's an unusual situation in that, you know, a guy with as much acclaim as him, you know, coming out of college, going as a top pick, and then a guy that also you know, had a lot of success early. Uh, it's probably a situation, at least it, from the outside, it appears, you know, this is just an opportunity. It's, it's not one of those situations where, hey, I want to pick the place that pays the best or, hey, I want to pick the right system. Hey, I want to pick uh, the place that, you know, looks like it's a good fit for me and I'm going to, you know, really gel with this particular group. This looks like this was the opportunity. This is the one with, where I could be the starter, you know. And, and it, sometimes you get into dangerous spots like that. I, I can reference situations like that with coaches that we know and both of the, you and I have both played for where, you know, you take the head coaching job because it's the only one you're going to get in the NFL and it's a great situation and you're out of coaching two years later. And, you know, that makes it difficult. So I, I guess the thing in the back of my head that itches a little bit is if I'm RG3, the, the, the options he may or may not have, and again, I'm not trying to break news here or anything, but if he was deciding upon go and be in a competitive starting situation at say you know, New York or, you know, you know, Dallas is maybe a, an heir apparent to Romo if he's banged up or any of these other situations where it was a little more questionable. I think Cleveland might be a little more cut and dried, especially in that the, the old backup is, is 34 years old, I believe, uh, McCown. And I think he's still back, but kind of sitting in, in no man's land, not knowing if you know Cleveland goes and drafts a high quarterback or if uh, he'll be cut or what it's going to be. But it looks like provided you know Cleveland has the ability to move around and maybe take a you know, high defensive back or take a tackle or something like that towards the top of the round of the draft and maybe get their quarterback later when those open RG3 gets to be your starter. But the opportunity is to maybe go get beat up. And it's very difficult to, to evaluate the quarterback himself if, you know, the, the, the weapons around you aren't as, you know, are, are low level, I think, for what the league. You got a decent player in Gary Barnage. You got had a very productive year ago. You mentioned Gordon. Don't know his availability. Uh, Brian Hartline's a solid pro, but if that's your frontline guy and Hawkins is more of a slot guy, it's just it's just a thinner specialty group of offensive players. So in the event that that RG3 doesn't make it work, man, was that the window and that's it and that's the end of the story. So interesting to see how it goes. It, it just might be a matter of, hey, I'm going to have to take the opportunity when it, when it presents itself, and this is the one. So uh, the other one piece of news I wanted to touch on and get your sort of point of view uh, which I thought was really interesting, this this thing going on with Colin Kaepernick, where certain deadline has to pass. It locks in his salary for 2016. He knows he's guaranteed this base base and package of whatever, 11-ish in cap figure and cash. So he knows he's got that number. He's, you know, he's well into a deal. It's, this is not uh, a free agency decision, excuse me, to take a little more, less money now to go to another team and or something like that to win. And that was sort of some of this talk, you know, he's been sort of in trade rumors with Denver met with Elway a couple times. It seems that Denver is, is pretty cap cap strapped, cap strapped. That's tough to say. Uh, But they're in a situation where they really need his number down. Uh, And they're, uh, they've asked him to to cut it by reports of close to $4 million. Uh, I'm curious from sort of a quarterback standpoint, or say, say you were in Kaepernick situation, you've been the starter at one point, had success, at a year where you didn't, lost the gig, you have that guaranteed money. Uh, and, you know, how tempting is it to take a huge step back of cash that's basically in the pocket, give it back for something that might might be better, you know, in the other place? Or now with Chip Kelly, you have a whole new sort of breath of fresh air as well. Where would you go? 
Yeah, it's a difficult decision, Matt, because um, in this particular case, you know, the age-old saying the grass may be greener. Well, it might be. Um, you just watched the team win a Super Bowl with a dominant defense. They still have a lot of those pieces besides Malik Jackson, as well as Danny Trevathan on defense. Now, they lost some back-end players. David Bruton is a, a core special teams player as well. And he kind of filled on some of those nickel-dime situations in at a kind of a hybrid safety, almost like down-in-the-box type safety player, almost like a linebacker. Look, so they're, they're going to have to fill some pieces, but they still have got Wolf, they still have Ware, they still have Miller, and still got their cornerbacks, Roby, Akeem Tlaib, and Chris Harris. Those are the, the foundational pieces they need to right. win a Super Bowl. They're going to need more from their offense. And I think they're going to get it because they got C.J. Anderson back. He's going to be the headline back with as much as they paid for him, uh, basically matching what the Miami Dolphins were willing to pay him. So now it's a right. matter of figuring out if you fit the system. Colin Kaepernick fits this system. He can run it. He can hand the football off, utilize the play-action pass, base everything off of Gary Kubiak's uh, zone running game, and you still got two right. number one wide receivers to throw to in Emmanuel Sanders and Marius Thomas. So it's a good situation for any quarterback to be in. I think the division is very winnable, besides the fact that you've got the Kansas City Chiefs are kind of knocking on the door a little bit, as well as the Oakland Raiders who are continuing to get better. Uh, the, Philly, uh, the, excuse me, the Phillip Rivers and the San Diego Chargers, they have a lot more room to improve. But – when you compare that to the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks, who really turned on the second half of the season, and they're still dominant as ever, and the Arizona Cardinals, it's looking like an uphill battle. And it feels like the Los Angeles Rams are a team that's a quarterback away from really being able to compete with some of their defensive pieces. So that being said, I could see why he'd want to leave, but you're also talking about uh, a coach in Chip Kelly who's going to run a system that's really going to play to the strengths of Colin Kaepernick, right? Him spreading the field horizontally with his system is going to allow for bigger windows to make easier throws and not have to fit the ball in tight windows, something that Colin Kaepernick has struggled with. And I think he would be right. able to excel in Chip Kelly's system in San Francisco. But at this point, I mean, Matt, tell me if I'm wrong. If a player is under contract with another team and is meeting with another you know, vice president of another team, I would right. think that the San Francisco 49ers are okay with you moving on. I can't imagine sure. another scenario where a guy under contract is meeting with other teams and essentially shopping himself or talking about hypotheticals. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Uh, so, and on top of it, look, he, he doesn't, he's not going to want to give any money back. It's not going to happen in San Francisco. Maybe that's the, the only reason why he stays. Uh, every player should obviously keep as much money as they can and force the teams to deal with the contract that whether it was the San Francisco 49ers agreed to or that him and his agent did make the Broncos agree to it. You should never give any money back in a contract. Yeah, it's, it's odd to me that the, the Niners are allowing this courtship to go on, and they're doing it today and not two or three weeks ago prior to when his, his contract locked. It would make sense then, because then you have leverage to say, we're not so sure about you on our team. You know, Blank Gabbard did beat you out last year, and, you know, we have the option of, drafting high and having Blaine as the backup. Maybe we don't want to carry that 11 number for a guy we have as a question mark, but they never really leveraged him that way. They never, you know, if you were trying to have that trade talk with Denver at that time, the uncertainty then with the player sits in, I might not get that 11 at either place or either place. I mean, I might not necessarily get five at either place because maybe both places are looking at me as a bridge player to some other guy. Like in the event of Kaepernick, we'll talk as we get into the draft quarterbacks here in a little bit. I mean, Denver's drafting, obviously, at the very back end of the first round. They may be looking for an Osweiler-type body type because they want to keep that guy. So even if Cap were to come in, and this is obviously irrespective of the fact that Mark Sanchez has done a 
actually a pretty lucrative, lucrative backup deal. I think it's like two for nine or something like that, or two for eight. So he continues to be one of the bigger sort of 33rd starting quarterback guys where he's going to make a decent number. Not coincidentally, I don't think very similar to the amount of money they're trying to get back from cap to get him into the job. So it's almost as if they have two bridge guys there. Uh, but I think that the unusual situation is Cap is is quite likely choosing between two bridge spots. He's not, hey, this is the place that wants you. This is a place that you can grow and, and live out the rest of that initial contract you signed. It might be two places where both seem to be giving strong indications that they're looking for someone else. And that would freak any player out. So for me, by default, I go with the one where I know I'm getting the more money and it's already sort of paid in the pocket. But it'd be interesting. You touched on the idea of him under center with Kubiak. I love it because, you know, he's a really long athlete, strides real well. Uh, When you put him under center and he's got to reach out and get to that zone read or boot off of it, sprint action, all that kind of stuff. He just seems like made to do it. So if the the, the key there would be, you know, you're going to let him be Jake Plummer kind of deal. Are you going to let him, pull that in and keep him on the move and, and let him read half field and let him make plays with his feet. Because when they put him in the pistol and they don't run the, the plays where, you know, it's sort of designed to run. I think that was a frustration a little bit in San Francisco that, man, this guy's got these tools. And a lot of this is just pistol fake. And then, as you mentioned, try to have him fit it into a tight window. And he struggled with that. If, if Kubiak isn't just stretch running CJ Anderson at death, he's actually pulling it out of the gut and let cat make plays. I think it could be a great fit too, but you, you sort of touched on this. It's great fit versus potential other great fit because Chip Kelly, I think will will utilize that ability as well. So it's really two spots that would have worked conceptually. So yeah, then just go with the contract, but all righty. So off of sort of current NFL news, and now we're going to transition into the draft stuff. And I thought this would be exciting to touch on with you because you got to go down to the East West shrine game and look at some of the guys that might be more mid to later round guys. Uh, but you have also personally been through this draft process where you're you're presumed to be one of the top uh, couple prospects, and you know you're thinking you're going to go in the first round. We know your story. You were going to. We many thought you'd go higher. You slipped a little bit. But you're still a first rounder. Uh, kind of just talk about sort of the pro day being in the rearview mirror, which it is for for most of these top guys, for Goff and for Wentz and for Paxton Lynch and Connor Cook. They've sort of had their opportunity to do both pro day both uh, to also do uh, the NFL Combine, and they've sort of aced a lot of those situations. Now what are you doing sort of in these weeks leading up to when you're going to decide where you actually land? You know, Matt, for me, you're still on edge because what's going on right now is there's a lot of visits you're taking. And either you're going to the the team or a facility there, uh, whether that for me was the Detroit Lions, the Oakland Raiders, the Cleveland Browns, or whoever, uh, Washington Redskins, when you're going there, uh, where you basically meet with the staff, you, you talk about X's and O's and all that, they can't work you out. They can never work you out at their facility. Or you're working out with teams at your facility, at your, at your uh, college campus. So, for example, right. I was working out with the Tampa Bay Bucks at the time with John Gruden or even uh, Cam Cameron. And it's kind of funny. To see John Gruden now do his little QV camp, I mean, he was essentially doing that as the quarterback or as the head coach. <laughs> Of, of the Tampa Bay Bucks, so it's funny how that all worked out, and and they and they throw in curveballs, you know, like with the Miami Dolphins, I was throwing to my own wide receivers and running backs, guys I was familiar with, with the Tampa Bay Bucks, they flew down with Bruce Allen, their general manager at the time, they flew down Maurice Stovall, as uh, well as Mark Clayton, so we I had guys, you know, one guy I never thrown to, now Maurice Stovall I thrown to, fortunately he was an alum of Notre Dame and a wide receiver I had, so that worked out well, 
But I had another guy I'd never seen coming in on our breaks before, and I had to deal with very similar to what you have to deal with at the combine. And, but, but you're doing drills and you're doing drops and throws and play-action fakes similar to what their offense does, not to maybe what you've done before in college. So they're really trying to test you to see how you fit in their system, you know, how high your football IQ is to see if you'll adapt into their system and be able to fit in right away. So right now is actually a very key time for a lot of these quarterbacks who are going on these visits and, and still really, you know, a part of the evaluation process right now that you don't really see as much into. You know, you see the combine. We see the pro days on ESPN or the combine on NFL Network. You don't see these visits quite as much. You hear every once in a while little rumors or murmurs, but that is really what all these guys are focused on, still trying to make sure they're taking care of their bodies, staying out of trouble, and, and really focusing on a lot of these visits. Yeah, I, I, it's sort of the, the stuff behind the red curtain. And I, I think as a player, there's a lot of little maneuvering that goes on now. You'll, we're, we're definitely going to hear this. And this is even speaking now as as media members. We're going to hear some goofy piece of news. Uh, you know, one of the things that's out there is Paxton Lynch has the supposedly some floating pieces in his shoulder or something like that. Or, you know, that something that was discovered in, in a med review, but that wasn't necessarily something he ever dealt with or even thought much of when he played just a little sort of floated pieces of information that you might go somewhere all of a sudden, Oh no, he's red flagged or whatever, you know, just some, you know, like Teddy Bridgewater was the, the the small hands thing or, you know, like late information that everyone sort of hyper focuses on in the 11th hour that is meant to maybe scare a team away or, or give an indication that they don't have interest when they have a ton of interest sort of to throw shade over a player, uh, you know, to try to help move them back your way. But, I think now we get into the silly hour where we know who some of these top guys are. Uh, you'll, you might hear the leak about a team being interested that really isn't or just some little attempt to poke holes in a guy that might be a completely irrelevant kind of thing. I, I remember watching a ton of Teddy Bridgewater through college at Louisville and, and, and then just watching him fall precipitously and thinking of all these things that were being said of him. And as it led up to the draft, even as the draft was going on, I was like, man, I don't remember those things really being issues in live action against top competition. And all of a sudden there's all, are any of these concerns real? And, you know, and watching Manziel go over him and then Manziel kind of flame out uh, and have the struggles that he did. And, and again, Teddy hasn't set the world on fire. I think he, he still has a long ways to go, but kind of understanding a lot of those concerns that crop up from today till sort of when that post is in the ground on draft day, a lot of it can be nonsense, but, We'll talk about some of them anyhow, so let's start taking a look here, a long look. And I actually like that uh, I personally have worked uh, some Paxton and Lynch games when Memphis has played UConn. Uh, I know you've worked some Jared Goff games. Is that correct? You've, you've seen him at Cal? You know, unfortunately, I never got to do one of his games, but I watched a lot of film on him because I did a lot of Pac-12 where I was watching the teams that he'd played. Yeah, that's what Kansas. I thought. Yeah. So, yeah, I gotcha. had a good chance to review a lot of his tape. And, you know, it's, it's hard, Matt, when you, when you see a player – of Jared Goff's stature, you can't help but even though you're focusing on the other opponent because you actually have them in the game you're doing, your eyes right. just seem to always kind of float over to the actual player just because he he makes a throw, he makes a play that you're saying, wow, you know, that's what makes him deserving of, you know, maybe the number two um, overall pick in the draft for his quarterback taken. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I think if sort of we look at, uh, at least for the purpose of this show, we're going to try to, we'll, we'll get into some of the lower round guys later and some of the more speculative guys uh but for the purpose of this there's there's four guys that have really at least rumor rumor mill wise uh, at least around the first or maybe early second kind of guy jared goff from cal 
uh, Carson Wentz, the guy from North Dakota State that's really sort of jumped to the top of a lot of people's boards and, and caught some people by surprise. Paxton Lynch, similar situation, quite frankly. Ton of wins at Memphis in his junior and senior year, or well, the last two years, excuse me. Uh, really sort of brought him into national attention. And then Connor Cook, who's been sort of the consummate, you know, lots and lots of college starts at a top program and has been sort of a steady eddy uh, and has a super pro frame and all the tangibles and stuff like that. So uh, this amongst this group, we'll start with golf because we kind of led there. The one thing that sort of jumps out to me, and I, 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 you actually talked about him a lot in a lot of our college football shows throughout the course of the year, and it, it got me to pay more attention to him. And I really took him to be a guy who would have an exceptional performance, and you would make me aware of it. I'd go back, check highlights. I'm like, oh, this guy's a stud. And he had some real sort of doldrum games, I thought. Some more times where and I would go tune in, and, and it wasn't his best week. Uh, the one thing that I, sort of stands out for me is his – his footwork is really good, and his base seems really good, where he's got this kind of almost like nifty feet. Like, he, he kind of gets himself set in situations where it looks a little unnatural, too. So I'm guessing him to be a, a pretty good athlete. His, his combine measurables would, would back that up, more or less. Uh, one of the things that is a little interesting is all these six four six five and in, in Paxton Lynch situation, you know, a six six or higher kind of guy. This is the thinner guy of the group. This is closer to, like, a Sam Bradford. He's like a 215 kind of guy. Uh, which, you know, in 6'4 body types, a lot of these guys end up being 225 or 235 or even higher. He's a little finish, and if you watch some of sort of his games at Cal, and they did not have a great senior year. I mean, is that 7 to 5, somewhere in that range? Good, not great. You know, bowl qualifier, but not not exceptional year. He got hit a lot. And I, I think that's good, that's good news, bad news, because he's finished, took a ton of shots, uh, some bad habits in my point of view, and I'm not trying to pretend to be a draft analyst here. I'm not. I haven't watched all the games this guy's played or anything like that. But he took a ton of hits, and, and there were times where it looked to me like just trying to get rid of this thing because, you know, I'm taking shots. But at 215, taking a lot of shots, he looks tough as nails. It's almost kind of like a Tony Romo kind of feel to it where creativity, great feet, nifty feet. I know his frame's nothing like Tony's, but – uh, probably all those sort of, okay, if we put this guy in a better situation, wow, he could really smoke it up here. What's uh, what's sort of your take on Jared Goff? Yeah, I think one thing you pointed out, and, and everyone kind of loves, is, is the base that he's able to throw to. You know, He has such quick feet because he maintains a base in which he doesn't really need to take in a, any additional space up with a stride. It's very short, very compact. His release is very compact. And I think what combines all this to, to make him seem so quick on film, getting the football out of his hand and anticipating throws is he's a quick decision maker. He's a smart kid. Right. He understands how to dissect the defense and then how to utilize all of his physical skills to then get the ball out quick in the right spot on time and on the money. And, and one game in particular that I can kind of recall <clears throat> watching on film and, and kind of getting uh, the same sense that you were like, he's getting hit a lot at this point in time was versus Arizona State. And that was a game that was basically a shootout with basically on his shoulders. And he absolutely played as tough and had so, showed so much grit and desire to win that game, bringing his team back, making the big clutch throws when he needed to. I think that was what was so impressive uh, to me was there was a lot of people doubting that. Now, granted, the college level is drastically different from the NFL. Sure. Those hits hurt that much more. No, no injury. They'll put you out. But uh, for what he was able to accomplish in the three years that he was at Cal, 96 touchdown passes, only to 30 interceptions, it kind of goes to show you that he has been a good decision maker now for quite some period of time. And even he almost had a two to one ratio his freshman year when he played. And yep. he was in, he was in a very dynamic offense, spread offense, but 
he played to that offense. He played very well under that system. I think he'll be able to adapt to whatever system he's in. He's been working a lot under center over the past few months, now trying to prepare himself for what he believes to be more of an NFL-style system. And so far, the reviews coming back from scouts and jams are good. And you could tell, just watching him at the combine, even with him acting like he was understanding the flash fakes, he's worked on it enough where he's starting to kind of build that muscle memory and get much more comfortable. The next step will be whether or not he can adapt the verbiage that he's got to be able to digest in his head and then combine that with all the physical changes he's made and be able to put it all together on the practice field versus better competition and then apply it in the game. Right. That's why it's so tough for any rookie to make it happen is because you have to apply the mental to the physical, put it together, and then make it happen in a live scenario versus better talent. We'll have to wait and see. That's going to be his biggest hurdle in this whole process, but there's no doubt in my mind he can very well be the, the first quarterback taken overall at number two to the Browns right. uh, because of his skill set, but combined with Hugh Jackson's kind of connection back to Cal. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, he's coming out of that up-tempo spread that you talk about, Sonny Dykes, former, you know, Texas Tech lineage guy, uh, Spike Dykes' son, all that kind of stuff. It's it's one of those – and this isn't the Texas Tech now, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury or even the, the, the tenure before that. It wasn't that widespread Red Raider thing. But it's still one where I think he was definitely in a, a non-air quotes pro-style thing for most of his career. Uh, that may be irrelevant because, as you mentioned, you go to the quarterback guru – uh, maybe Cleveland is that situation where the expectation where Goff wouldn't have to necessarily start year one. I mean, if it's RG3, you've got your bridge guy there. And uh, you get into the unusual situation that if RG3 just catches fire and he's the player from years past, if that were to happen, uh, Goff gets to do the Aaron Rodgers thing and sort of come along slowly. So, uh, and, you know, not trying to make that connection because they're both Cal guys, but uh, I, I, I'm looking sort of down the list of place here that we would presume to be sort of quarterback needy. Uh, the Cowboys uh, rumored a lot, and I'm always wondering if this is more, more smoke than real fire. But the notion that Romo's getting up there in age, he carries one of the heaviest cap figures in the NFL, and we know he's gotten banged up. He says he's healthy, his shoulders, or collarbone, whatever, now healed. Uh, but, you know, he just always seems like a guy who's a hit away because of his style. And his, his toughness is incredible. But the talks of them going to get a guy. Uh, maybe the Cowboys are really more of a candidate for an early second kind of guy. A guy that's a little more speculative that could spot start if need be. Uh, San Francisco is, is another spot where amongst this group of guys, I don't, I think is often sort of the misperception that Chip Kelly's is like a strictly running thing. Like it's gotta be Mariota. You know, it's gotta be the guy that can run this spread attack, but that is, is run first. It, it wasn't that certainly wasn't that last year in Philadelphia. I don't think it has to be that necessarily in San Francisco now. If it's with Kaepernick, yeah, it probably is. If it's with Goff, I think the attribute he brings more is just the quick decision-making, the way he reads the field well and his acclimation to, to that kind of spread field. Uh, we'll see. But I think there's there some, certainly some interesting prospects here. The Rams would be another one. Uh, I think the Eagles. But, again, I don't think Goff's going to make it till that, till the, till that part of the draft. But there's a handful of places where – his skill set and the particular systems they run, I think, would mesh to where there's no concern about some great transition with this particular dude. Uh, we got to move on here for just time purposes. And Carson Wentz is sort of the other sort of darling. Uh, you know, there's been some conversations where he might be the first taken instead of golf. Again, we're always talking here about landing spot, and that'll probably drive where any of these guys go. 
Carson Wentz is obviously the uh, the North Dakota State guy in FCS school. School used to be in our conference, University of South Dakota, and and just as a little sort of asterisk, and you know, not not touting this necessarily, but uh, the little backstory on Carson Wentz: he did miss a ton of games this year, broke his wrist during the season, uh, and that was against Coyotes. So you know, I think he'll be fine in the NFL as long as he doesn't have to play against USD. But uh, I'm joking. But uh, <laughs> this, this this dude is. Uh, really uh, sort of grows the national attention. And I, I should mention this also in respect to Goff and Paxton Lynch. It's pretty phenomenal, I think, that the top three quarterbacks we're talking about. This is something you've touched on quite a bit because we'll, we'll talk SEC all day long, and those are presumably your top NFL – or I'm sorry, your top NFL prospects are coming out of that place. And we're really not talking about, other than maybe Dak Prescott as an NFL prospect from there, some of your top quarterback – all the majority of your top NFL prospects at the quarterback position are from these sort of outside the mainstream schools, Cal, good school, good Pac-12 school, but it, it's not USC. It's not Cody Kessler. I mean, it, this is Goff isn't that guy, uh, at least coming out of high school. Uh, Carson Wentz at North Dakota State, FCS school, uh, Paxton Lynch, Memphis. These are schools that are sort of outside the, they're not taking the USC, con, you know, they're not taking the Alabama gig, not Michigan, those kinds of things. So, I think that's kind of interesting. So in that situation, normally Carson Wentz, as an F, you know, playing at an FCS school, the big question mark would be, how's this guy going to adapt to greater competition? Well, you have this exact same questions with Paxton Lynch. Memphis is, is just a shade away from that as far as competition that they play. Uh, and Wentz lit it up at the uh, – was it? It was the Senior Bowl. I think Senior Bowl is where he went. And he, he looked really good yeah. there and has looked good throughout his personal workout. So what's been sort of your takeaway from uh, Carson Wentz and where do you think he might fall? Uh, yeah, look, I think he'd be a great fit for the Cleveland Browns at number two. And I think he's the most ready quarterback in this draft class for the NFL. And that has a lot to do with the type of system that he came from at, at North Dakota State. You know, he had his hands under center often. He's accustomed to a lot of the play-action pass drop sets that you see and then getting his head back around to identify the coverage to go back through his reads and progression. So a lot of the things he's going to be doing at the NFL level will be second nature to him because he's done them for a long time in college, coming up through that, I assume, high school as well, into the NFL. And combined with that, when you look at his measurables, as far as an athlete and all that from the combine, he's a fine athlete. He displayed that in college. I think he'll display that at the next level as well. Now, as far as the jump, from North Dakota State and at the FCS level to uh, the NFL. Look, we've seen a guy in Joe Flacco who's done this before when he yep. played at Delaware. I guess I'd have to ask you, Matt. I mean, granted, you didn't play quarterback, but what did you feel like the jump was for you? Because you could tell just as well as anyone else that's making this jump, you know, how much faster the game was or the different terminology was. But was it that big of a jump where you felt like, you couldn't make it or it's insurmountable, and you played a long time and won three Super Bowls, I would imagine that you didn't have an issue with uh, playing against maybe a little bit better talent. Now, the biggest issue, at, and I was at a Division two school that's now an FCS school. So North Dakota State that he played, it used to be a Division two school when I, was, when I came out in 1998. So that's even a, a further notch back. But what I would say about our schools at that level, and, and North Dakota State plays uh, BCS schools each and every year. They, they actually had sort of a record here where they had knocked off Kansas, knocked off Iowa State, knocked off. Uh, I don't know, like three or four years in a row, they were going after these kinds. So he gets some exposure, just not a ton of it. I would say the thing, though, for me personally is I'm used to playing against NFL talent in my conference, in that Division II conference, only two or three guys per team, right? That one, 
one team would have a single tackle that was that. And it's, you know, the guard next to him might be not that good, you know. So it's really just the depth of talent at that level that you see. And that's why they go and they play a team like Notre Dame. And you play a team like Michigan. And there is three or four guys on those North Dakota State rosters that can can play with the with the team from Michigan, with a team from Florida, something like that. The problem is, where the holes are is just the depth, the quality of depth. They don't have they don't have twenty two guys. The twenty you know they've got four. <laughs> you know, so there's a handful that can play at that level. So in my particular case, I played. I think there were three tight ends in our conference that went on to play a long time in the NFL. Steve Hyden uh, played uh, at Cleveland for years, uh, San Diego, 10, yeah, 10 plus years in the NFL. Jo- uh, uh, Klein Saucer, I'm blanking on his first name, uh, played over 10 years in Minnesota as a tight end, like a second or third round pick. Uh, you know, we, we those are the guys that I had to cover. You know, as an old linebacker, I covered Hyden and Klein Saucer in big games throughout my four years there. So I played against NFL talent. I did. Uh, now they're, the next week I didn't, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of that thing. It's just less exposure to it, but it's not like in that particular conference I came from that they, they hadn't seen it. So I think a real good indicator there is when Carson Wentz had to go and play against those guys, goes to the senior bowl, really lights it up. He, I, I've seen part of the Gruden thing with him, and, you know, they, they gushed quite a bit about how, you know, this guy, if you didn't know, if you didn't have the bio that says North Dakota State, you wouldn't know. And I think that's usually the biggest thing. And, and that was probably my biggest takeaway from, from being a rookie with the Rams. When you walk away, uh, when you take off name tags and, and you, you don't know, provided the guys are sort of NFL side. You know, we're not talking about 5'11 linebacker or a 280-pound lineman or something. You provided your, your prototype, you wouldn't know which school guys went to. And I think that was probably the biggest thing. 6'4", 250, you're a linebacker. Uh, what school you went to, it's kind of hard to tell when you see the guys move around. If you're either good or you're, you're not. That's, uh, that was, that was kind of my feel with that. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm you know, obviously I'm, I'm slightly cheering here, slightly biased, and that I'd love to see the small guy, small school guy do good. I think in Carson's particular situation, he was a small dude. I, I think they listed him at like 5'8", crazy short, uh, 180 pounds, 160 yeah. pounds, something like that as a freshman in high school. So he just, his growth curve was late. You know, he ends up being a six, four, six, five kind of guy, six, five, 240 pound dude. Now he just wasn't that big then. Yeah. So he didn't have a lot of great high school tape. So he goes to the smaller school and even at North Dakota state, which, you know, we're talking about him as an FCS player. He really only played two seasons. You know, he wasn't a, a four year yeah. starter there either. So he just yeah, has a shorter sample, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a few different uh, things that you're hearing a lot of people talk about right, right now with Carson Wentz that are either good or bad. You know, some people would say, oh, well, you know, he's a better fit for a team in the AFC North because he's played in cold weather. Well, actually, I don't think they're going to say play indoors. Now, he, you know, he did play outside of time, in particular during their run when they won a national championship uh, this particular season. You saw him playing against Jacksonville right. State and all that. So he, he's played outside in much more adverse conditions than maybe Jared Goff has if you want to compare those two quarterbacks. Uh, the other thing is is the success of the North Dakota State program. You could almost make them comparable to maybe like an Alabama, right? They were successful right. before he got there. They'll probably be successful after he leaves. Um, they have more talent than I think the other teams out around them at that level. Uh, so I, so it's maybe it's harder to judge necessarily how good he really is because he's on a team that's so much superior to the rest of the competition. Right. At that level, I think the key is except for the Coyotes, except for the Coyotes, Senior Bowl. Yeah. yeah, there you go, except for the Coyotes. Um, <laughs> but but the, but the way he competed at the Senior Bowl, I think, is going to be uh, something key in all of this, uh, because it right. goes to show you that 
if he's surrounded by that same amount of talent, he's going to be able to utilize it because he's a smart football player. He knows how to distribute the football. He's accurate. He has the good fundamentals and all that, which is what you really need to when it comes down to it. It doesn't matter what he was playing with before because what he was playing with before and playing again, he made it work. Um, so he, to me, is who I believe it would be the, I guess, safest, I guess, short-term guy if you're going to take him as right. your quarterback in the first round. Goff, I think, has the most upside. And then probably a surprise to you, uh, as we're talking about all these underclassmen are coming out, uh, because obviously, you know, Paxton Lynch is an underclassman. A lot of people have him at number three. Goff is an underclassman. They think he's arguably the first or second guy taken. I actually have Connor yep. Cook uh, as my right. third quarterback, and it's that combination of experience uh, that he had at Michigan State and the success that he had, along with his, yep. his t- physical talent and size and all that. I think he played this year uh, tough. I think he was banged up. Didn't want to let a lot of people know that. Uh, but I think he's going to be possibly the third guy taken off the board. And I, I think he should be if you look at his body of work compared to Paxton Lynch, uh, who really, I think, in the bowl, his bowl game really struggled versus some of the better competition that he was able to really yes. ever face in his career. Yeah, it's an interesting point because, you know, sort of using Paxton Lynch, sort of the Paxton Lynch versus Connor sort of argument, because the presum- presumption there is that these are two after pick 15 kind of guys that maybe somebody in the back end is stealing Denver. Maybe if they're looking and they're looking for an Osweiler clone, maybe they're more drawn to Paxton who's a big tall dude at like six, seven uh, rawish. Uh, I think you, you look at Paxton Lynch and he really gets by on arm talent a lot. Uh, I, again, he's one guy that I've actually worked games uh, when they played UConn uh, had an exceptional uh, game his senior year, uh, four touchdowns, just a clean, blowout kind of game against UConn the year before and then what would have been I think his sophomore year or maybe it was junior whatever it's the year before 2013 he had a pretty ugly performance and, and UConn really played well against them so I would say he's really sort of a roller coaster player but quite frankly he's what helped dig them out of obscurity Memphis is one of the great stories in college football over the last couple of years they really rose and he played well and he was really the star of that show uh, he just is more raw, I think. And he had a, the, the really great game that I think brought him into national attention last year in the upset of Ole Miss. But then you mentioned in the Birmingham Bowl against Auburn, he, he had a pretty rough performance. So he's another guy who's very dependent upon these pro day performances and, and the, you know, the senior bowl stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I personally kind of lean towards where you're leaning with Connor Cook. He's a guy that tends to get overlooked. I don't think he has a lot of NFL it's weird to say this about Michigan State. Michigan State will place a lot of defensive guys uh, as top picks and guys that will go on to have great NFL careers. They tend to place offensive linemen. We know the, the history they've had with backs, uh, but a lot of the quarterbacks tend to be the overlooked guy, you know, like the Kirk Cousins of the world that isn't as much flash, but the steady aspect and the experience aspect. Uh, Brad Salem's one of the offensive coordinators, uh, the guy, guy that would work with Connor. You uh, actually used to be a USD guy. Uh, who, who has worked with him quite a bit. And I think he's gotten pro-style coaching, you know, over the course of his career there, where you might not say that about some of these other people. So in the safety aspect, you know, if you're looking for that guy that can run the show and he's big, strong, he's prototype in, in all those ways, might be a little less of a risk where Paxton, you know, might be closer to a Ryan Mallet, you know, another oversized 6'6-plus kind of guy that is a little rawish uh, and, you know, doesn't end up being as, as fine-tuned a guy and go to be a perennial starter. So that's an interesting debate. We'll see kind of how that fleshes out because some of those teams, you know, maybe the Eagles that are, that are drafted later or Denver trying to sort of plug that hole would be drawn to. The Rams potentially, although they're not as far down, but the Rams 
could have interest in either of those two guys. And you go for more of the question mark and Paxton, who's got a ton of upside. I mean, there's there's a lot there. Uh, or do you go with Connor, where it's more of a, a surefire? Well, not necessarily surefire that he's going to be a star, but the, the steady producer. Um, I, I wanted to transition to this as kind of the last deal. I thought this would be interesting to get from you because you actually got to coach some of these guys this year. I know you were down at the East-West Shrine game. You were an assistant with Char- on the Charlie Weiss side for the East. And uh, there are six quarterbacks down there. Uh, the West, I believe, was Vernon Adams, so you didn't get to work with him necessarily hand-to-hand. He's sort of the smaller, non-prototype quarterback, the quarterback from Oregon, uh, smaller athlete. I'm, I'm obviously talking in stereotypes here because I don't know a ton about him, how he would project as a pro, just that he's clearly not prototype. Uh, Nate Sudfeld, which uh, for NFL fans out there, this is the brother of Zach Sudfeld, the, the sort of tight end story of a couple training camps ago with the Patriots that – uh, has had some injuries and hasn't quite blossomed like people thought, at least in that time. Uh, but Nate is at Indiana, has been – he's more of a project, big, tall guy. You, you might be able to speak more to him and how he played, at least during that week of practice. And Brandon Dowdy from Western Kentucky, another bit of a project. But on your east side, you got to see Joel Stave up close. That's a dude from Wisconsin. Uh, big Ten fans will know well. Steady Eddie there, too. Not an explosive offense at Iowa – or, excuse me, at Wisconsin for passing game purposes. Jake Rudock former Iowa quarterback for three years, goes to Michigan, has a steady year. His final year, a lot of people are liking him as a, a potential back-end draft steal because he's smart, has been in Harbaugh's system. Pro transition might not be as tough for him. He's not a 6'6 guy, not a 6'5 guy. Uh, a little less prototype in that regard. And Blake Fronapple, who, you know, obviously I, I did most of his games for his junior and senior year, saw him quite a bit, another one of those over six five kind of project guys, but that played in a, a pro system with Mark Whipple. Uh, any of those six that, that sort of caught your attention? Is, is there a place where hey, these are one of one of these guys might be a, a project that might fit with some of these teams that aren't necessarily looking for their day one starter in 2016, but that have a bridge guy already in place? But might might one of these guys fit down the road? You know, it's interesting from from my experience up to that week, uh, working with some of the quarterbacks on the East and then in the game. You know, Vernon Vernon Adams, uh, the quarterback out of Oregon who transferred from Eastern Washington, he was the guy that really stood out as far as his performance in the game. And what you're hearing a lot of right now are the comparisons between Vernon Adams to Russell Wilson. A lot of people are trying to say uh, not only just ironically enough geographically because – they were out there, um, you know, up in the Seattle area training and so forth together, even right now, but also just their style of play. Now, I don't necessarily feel as if Vernon Adams is as good of a fit because Russell Wilson came from an offense at Wisconsin that ran more of a pro style for him. It was a little bit easier transition for him, being under center, making some of those throws and all that. And to me, I, I feel like Russell Wilson had a very prolific career in college at NC State before he transferred to, to Wisconsin. Vernon Adams has some work to do if he wants to kind of convince people that he could be a Russell Wilson. But it leads you to think, like we had just talked about a, a moment about this with Paxton Lynch, do people kind of give him more favor um, or look at him in, a, in a, you know, I guess a better eye because of the way Brock Osweiler was able to play this year and how he was viewed, right. being that both are six, seven-plus quarterbacks. You kind of see that sometimes. Like the success of Wes Welker, allowed for Julian Edelman to kind of come into the game and all of a sudden for him to be a guy that's now able to be one of the go-to guys in New England as well as a guy like Cole Beasley who was able to is kind of be able to be that slot guy now in Dallas who got paid pretty reasonably well um, and, and you always see this and it kind of happens at a tackle position the wide receiver position and at quarterbacks as well so I think we're starting to see that a little bit with Vernon Adams and his comparison to Russell Wilson 
The guy I really like, though, when looking at all the rest of that group of quarterbacks is Jake Rudolph. And it's an interesting uh, a study because at this time of year, you hear so much stuff right now, Matt, about what guys have where and who's going to meet with who and working out with who. It comes from the agents. It comes from these sure. players' agents who want it to be known. They want it to seem like their players the hot commodity. Jake Rudolph, to the best of my knowledge, he didn't have an agent at the time of the East-West Shrine game, and I believe he still doesn't now. See, I, so you're not hearing as much about him. All you heard was every single person that went and attended the Michigan Pro Day came away going, wow, why aren't we hearing more about this player? Why, you, know, right. you should have seen the way he threw, the way he was able to project in drills and all that. And obviously his football IQ is off the charts. The kid's smart. He's going to be in pre-med and be a doctor someday if football doesn't work out or if he so chooses. So he's got that route to go. He's the guy to me that you, know, you could call a late-round pick. I would be comfortable taking him in the fifth round with the ability that he was able to display on the field that I saw during the week of working with him. Fundamentally, he's as sound as it gets. He can make all the throws. He spins it well. He's athletic enough. Um, and the fact that he was able to deal with one offense at Iowa, be successful in it there, transfer to Michigan, whole new offense, and adapt right in and have another successful year. So that, to me, shows that he's going to be a quick learner. He's going to be able to pick up whatever system I throw at him and be successful right away. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him taking the tie as a fifth round. He could be end up being a seventh-round pick because of his size. He's more of a 6'3", 6'4", guy sitting around 220 pounds. And he could put, probably put some more weight on him if you wanted to uh, or once he gets with whatever team drafts him. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know obviously my my home is Iowa and that's where I grew up and it, there's a lot of mixed feelings about people that actually you know had to watch him week in week out because they eventually made the move to C.J. Beathard and I think there were a lot of Iowa fans that had a sort of good riddance feel about Jake, but because the offense wasn't terribly explosive and C.J. provided a little more spark and a little more movement skills and things like that and he was prototype he's taller all those kinds of things, long flowing hair, <laughs> all the stuff that doesn't really matter. Uh, but both of them go on and have success. As you mentioned, Rudock did great at, at Michigan and was really surprised because he went to Michigan without any promises. You know, he went in there, uh, the incumbent could have kept the gig and he was able to sort of com- in a competitive situation, convince Harbaugh to let him be his transition guy, a guy he didn't really recruit there. You know, he's not some hot thing. He's a longtime big 10 starter who's going to have an option to play one final season. Uh, so going in, into that environment and winning over people who had already been a part of the Michigan program, albeit not not with Harbaugh, that, it says something about a guy. So you're talking fifth round. It's it, The dude just might have smarts and moxie, and he's a good competitive guy who can improve and, and adapt quickly. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. I, I look at Apple and, you know, maybe I'm just drawn to bias there because I've seen so much of him. He does some things that are frustrating. You know, he had probably too many red zone turnovers where you'd see the guy – uh, give balls away that didn't need to happen. But he was certainly in a pass-heavy offense, uh, played for Mark Whipple. He used to be uh, – was was Ben Roethlisberger's first quarterback coach in the NFL. And so he's been an OC. He's been in a pro-style offense. He's been in one that has him under center, has him in the gun. Uh, a lot of shifts in motions, a lot of oddball formations. It's not – it's certainly not a spread. So he's probably one of those guys where if you want to take him as a free agent or you want to take him as a late-round guy, he might – shock you i think the way he comes out of a, a rookie training camp you know out of out of the, the summer stuff and you go wow this guy's picking it up quickly and he's big and tall and you know he's, he had his twin his twin brother was a, a tight end at uh, at uh, marshall and that's where he actually transferred from so he's he sort of got that pro frame uh and again sort of similar to your your points about rudock real smart kid uh you know if he's not doing this he's doing something else good in life so 
I don't know. I, it'll be good when we get back when all this is done, maybe as things sort of mature, even talking about this a year from now, where these things kind of all shake out. But uh, good talk. Can't wait to see this thing all go down and, and see where people invariably end. I think we, we didn't touch on this as we looked through it, but uh, Jerry Goff, Carson Wentz, there's a good chance these guys are going to go to bad teams. <laughs> so regardless yeah. of what we yeah. think of them, Matt, that's going to be yeah, the tough transition. Let me see. Let me say one last thing, one final connection between the draft class quarterbacks and Colin Kaepernick. You know, yeah. whoever goes to, you know, whether it's yeah. Goff or Wentz, you know, you're looking at number seven with the San Francisco 49ers right there. If they do yeah. end up taking, uh, whether it's Jared Goff or Carson Wentz, don't be surprised if that trade ends up happening then where Colin Kaepernick is able to then go to the Denver Broncos. It just feels like it's going to happen. It's only a matter of time. Um, and and sure. if that if that draft choice does happen where they take a quarterback that high in the first round, you'd have to believe that Chip Kelly is looking at going with him, um, you know, being his quarterback, uh, at least for the foreseeable future in his first year, uh, you know, as the 49ers head coach. And Kaepernick, uh, essentially the writing would be on the wall, which I already think it is, but it's just a matter of time to see how the scenario plays out. Yeah, and, and I, something we – I think we get lulled into these conversations about, you know, it's just – Today's NFL, you know, the, the, the presumption is that a, that a rookie can start. And I, I we saw Mariota do it last year. We saw Winston do it. Uh, we've seen, you know, RG3, but it's been a few years and things turned. But in these last several seasons, we've seen a lot of rookies start. I think it is a little bit unique situation in each of these spots where we're talking about landings for some of these top guys, whether it be Cleveland, whether it be Dallas, whether it be the Rams, whether it be the Eagles. Each of these places really do have – at least on the surface, a bridge option that's not so speculative, not like a career backup that, hey, we're going to give him his shot and ride the season out and let this other guy uh, grow. RG3's had success. You know, he can be a starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns uh, for a full season. And if you're a golfer, Wentz, that might be not so bad. Yes, you're going to a bad team, but I don't think there would necessarily be pressure for him to pick it up right off the bat. You know, certainly wouldn't be that pressure in Dallas. Certainly wouldn't be that pressure even in L.A. I mean, I'll, Nick Foles presumably still going to be there. Uh, and then, you know, who knows? So in the Eagles, obviously, they have their sort of quasi-commitment <laughs> to to their starting quarterback. They did give Sam a new deal, but it's not it, – it was not a locked-in-stone going to be here for the next five years kind of deal. So in a lot of these situations, I think these this young quarterback class – doesn't necessarily need to have any of these four be the day one 16 game starter for any of these teams. And that might be a good thing. So something that I think, I know you've advocated for in the past of needing to give these guys some patience and and let them grow and let them become great NFL starters. We'll see. All right, man, have a great week. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. You too. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady and myself, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.